Welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your new host, Tom Church, taking over for the terrific Troy Senek, and the Libertarian is Professor Richard Epstein, the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU, and a Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. For our listeners who know and enjoy Troy, don't worry, you can still get your fix of Richard and Troy as they're joined by John Yu in their monthly podcast, Law Talk. And I'd encourage you to go check out Troy's new venture, Kite and Key Media, which has been putting out really entertaining and educational videos for a few months now. Uh, Before we get started, Richard, uh, we've known each other for almost a decade since I started up at Hoover. Uh, We've been companions at seminars, uh, a lot of different meals, and I want to say I'm I'm really looking forward to having a weekly conversation with you again. Well, so am I. I mean, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in January and February is a fine thing, but uh, this will be, I hope, a weekly occurrence for a very long time to come, and I think you've teed up a very fine topic today, so rather than keep with the suspense, uh, perhaps we should move now to the substantive agenda of the day in a world of increasing uncertainty and occasional calamity. Well, let's get started. Uh, I want to get us going with uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's proposal for a global minimum tax, corporate tax rate of 15%. And this is linked, of course, to uh, President Biden's proposal to raise the corporate tax here in the United States up from 21 to 28%. Uh, Tomorrow, Richard, the Secretary Yellen and the other finance ministers of the G7 are going to meet to possibly come to some sort of agreement. And my question to you is as a two-parter, why why do we need other countries to agree to a global minimum rate, and how likely is it to work as intended? Well, to answer the first part, the only reason why we need other countries to agree to a minimum rate is to set what you would call a taxation cartel. And generally speaking, what happens is if a given nation in a competitive market uh, tries to raise its tax cases, it will lose some, not all, but at least some of its business to other states that offer uh, more attractive tax havens. The stakes here are extremely high because if you're the home state, you attract a large amount of income to that particular state, even if it is generated by activities that take place worldwide. Uh, The United States knows that if it goes from 21 to 28 percent, it's going to become a tax laggard. And therefore, what's going to happen is it's going to lose out business. So what it wants to do essentially is to raise the price of its rivals uh, so that it's going to be less likely for people to exit. This, I might add, is a wholly foolish kind of strategy, because even if what you do is you preserve the relative balance between the United States and other countries, what you're going to do is systematically reduce output across the entire system, which is what cartels always do. Uh, So, for example, if the output under the current lower tax system is, say, a billion or a trillion dollars a year, you start raising those taxes, even if you raise them equally, it's going to go down fairly sharply. Uh, In the limit, for example, you could have a cartel that raises taxes uh, to 100% of income. That's going to preserve parity, uh, but it will wipe out all activities. So like all cartels, what she's trying to do is essentially to raise the uh, price of doing business to the point where it hurts, but not to the point where it kills. The United States will suffer from this um, insofar as it will get maybe more tax revenues, but will lose all sorts of private income from this situation. Um, And it will lose even more if the rest of the world goes along. Now, will the rest of the world go along? This is, of course, a very chancy situation. Other nations who are greedy for public expenditures may say this is a fine.
fine idea. The difficulty is that the more some nations think it's in their interest to join the situation, the more likely it is that other nations are going to decide to stay out of this thing, uh, because if you're Granada and you keep your tax rates at 15%, when everybody else is going to 28 or 30%, or keep them even lower than that, uh, you'll attract this huge amount of the difference. So corralling everybody into this particular cartel faces the same difficulty that you have in dealing with any private cartel, cheaters, who in this case the social heroes, will make it very difficult for that to take place. So Ms. Yellen really has to come forward, not only with a plan to uh, get the uh, cooperators to go along, she has to find a way to stifle the dissenters. My guess is that she will not be able to do it. I hope that in the marketplace of ideas, bad ideas like this one will get stamped out, but you can never be sure. And what this starts to tell you is that the kind of program that they want to finance with these gargantuan taxes is probably beyond the reach of this nation to afford. And one of the reasons why you don't want to have cartels is that an honest taxing system worldwide reduces the inclination for people to engage in genuinely foolish expenditures. And the Biden administration, by trying to ramp up to the point where what happened under the Obama administration was child's play and chicken's feet, is really heading, I think, hurtling is perhaps a better word, down the path of disaster. And so I think that the markets are only successful today because they believe that Biden is is a failure. If, in fact, it turns out that he and Leon are able to turn the tide, I would expect to see a major decline in the stock market, major increases in unemployment, and general dislocation of the economic uh, situations here and everywhere throughout the world. Let's return home to the domestic situation because the corporate rate isn't the only tax uh, change that's being proposed. The the Biden budget uh, would increase the top income tax rate back up to 39.6%. It's the rate it was before the 2017 TCGA. Um, and it would apply that rate to capital gains and dividends on incomes uh, over a million dollars. They also want to uh, maybe a uh, adopt a step-up basis on cap gains and dividends upon death. There are many other uh, tax changes. Can you take us through the Biden approach on taxes that he's proposed? Yeah, I mean, look, it's the same problem that you have with respect to other things. I mean, I'm a strong devotee of people like Adam Smith, who says that the way in which you run a sound economy is to have a very broad tax base so that various kinds of income, say, from the production of iron ore or oil and gas are not going to be excluded from the system as subject to very heavy taxes. Keep it broad, keep it level. You want the level to be relatively low so that essentially you don't stifle all innovation and you want it to be constant because you don't want taxes to influence the choice uh, between one particular type of investment and another. Uh, So when you start to see the Biden people saying that they're going to start to raise the taxes up again on the ordinary income, uh, that's going to be a modest stent on what's going to happen. People equate at the margin. If they thought that the new money was going to be expended on things that would redound to their benefit, there would be a positive effect from the increase in taxes. Because if the tax would cost you 10 and the benefits you receive are worth five, and you couldn't get those $5 in benefits without having the comprehensive tax base, people will support the tax knowing that others are going to be bound by it as well. But if it's a massive redistribution, so the increase in tax doesn't give you a dime back in exchange, it's going to accordingly reduce the level of output that you will engage in because now the tax is a pure loss. It doesn't uh, have, shall we say, any return benefit that you want to do. 
Uh, the situation is much more disastrous when you start to talk about the uh, capital gains rate with respect to sales and dispositions, because these are elective taxes. And what happens is if you announce to people that you're going to have a federal tax of about, say, 43%, because I think you have to throw in the Medicaid tax on top of everything else, on all of the gains, not going to make any allowance for the depreciation and the value of long-held stock because of inflation, have to add in the possibility of state taxes, which in places like New York and California can get very high very quickly. And then, in effect, selling a particular stock uh, means that you're going to have to be so absolutely confident that the alternative investment is going to be better that you won't do it. And so, you know, roughly speaking, if you have to save, say, 60% of the stuff in tax, you're going to have to have a much, much higher return from the new investment to make it worthwhile to switch, and people just won't switch. Well, what will they do if they need cash? Uh, What they will do is they will borrow against their assets, face margin calls of one kind or another. Um, And that means that their portfolios are going to be more volatile than they want. It also means that that you're not going to have people respond to changes in market opportunities by selling stocks that aren't so good in order to buy some that are better. Uh, so you're going to find that you're going to get a tippy um, portfolio on the one hand and sluggish uh, investments in new activities on the other hand, both of which turn out to be real dead losers. The net effect of all this rigidity is that you're going to have probably fewer tax revenues rather than more. Uh, if one thinks back to the Bush tax cuts around 2002, 2003 in the cap capital gains rate, uh, the expansion in transactions more than offset the loss and gains per individual transaction. So this is the kind of mindless sort of behavior uh, that I've unfortunately come to expect of the Biden administration. One almost thinks that they're happy if people of wealth actually start to lose, even if people of lesser means don't gain anything from it. And that kind of a situation which says, I'm willing to stagnate so long as I could really stick it to you, is an open invitation to having a general decline in the economy. Again, I think things are reasonably stable on the economic front because the betting is still against these proposals going into effect. Um, but if it turns out that two or three key Democrats yield to various kinds of uh, imploring devices from the president and the secretary of the treasury, again, the market could go south. So we're at a very treacherous point in the economy. And, and I think everything that you want to see in the um, uh, Biden proposals are bad. I mentioned one other thing. Uh, which is there's always the state and local tax, the so-called salt things. The Trump administration, I think, was right to cap those at $10,000. Maybe it should have been fifteen. Who knows? Uh, but one of the things that the Biden supporters want to do is to allow the full deduction of state and local taxes because it will benefit people in blue states whose income taxes are very, very high, 10 12%, as opposed to places like Florida where the income tax is zero and the real estate taxes are very, very low. If you put that thing back into place, then you get yet an additional distortion in which efficient states are forced to subsidize inefficient states. And my own view is you'd like to have a constitutional regime that prevents these ad hoc kinds of tax games from taking place. That's water over the dam. Uh, so at this particular point, we have to see whether or not the political system has enough resistance to the silliness of the Biden administration. So far, I'm moderately optimistic on this point, but politics can change very rapidly. And stupid things can still happen. So in a world where Richard Epstein is Treasury Secretary, which is a world I would love to live in, uh, what does the corporate tax look like? How does it fit into the tax code as a whole? 
you've gone on record to say, you know, you support broad bases and, and low rates. But, you know, there's many economists who think the optimal corporate tax rate is zero. So where is it if you're, you're put in charge? Well, I mean, that's not a ridiculous proposal. Let me start to explain why. Um, there is a constant battle that takes place today between the choice between an income tax on the one hand and a consumption tax on the other. And there's lots of things that are very, very difficult about an income tax because you have to be able to determine uh, when transactions are going to be taxable and what the tax rate is going to be on them. When you're dealing with corporate dividends, for example, if you don't make the distribution, uh, then there's no tax. If you do make the distribution, there is a tax, which is an inhibition against making the distribution. Uh, There are all sorts of provisions in the Internal Revenue Code under the so-called reorganization title, which allow you to engage in various kinds of stock-for-stock swaps and not have to pay the gain if you receive stock of roughly equivalent value of the stock that you surrender because you want to encourage corporate kind of mobility. Now, a better way to do this in many ways is to kind of move further along that line and turn things into a bit more of a consumption tax. And so instead of saying that uh, you can swap stock tax-free only if it's part of a reorganization of an existing business or set of businesses, anybody who wants to sell one stock and within, say, 30 days reinvest in another stock doesn't have to pay tax on the gain uh, because you'll increase the total productivity and make up for the losses in dividends and in wages and in everything else. So essentially getting to a zero corporate tax, if you could find a way to keep the revenues alive, is fine. And you can do that, I think, if you in fact have these exemptions from the taxation, which will increase the size of the base so that you could compensate for the losses. How much of this you can do is always a delicate kind of thing. Uh, But it seems to me in principle, at least, that if you run this thing correctly, you could have a a zero corporate tax um, uh, by doing the things that we've said, at least on on capital gains, and you may want to still continue to tax dividends at ordinary uh, tax rates. Another proposal is to say, look, we're going to let you do whatever you want so long as you do it in a lockbox. You can exchange everything. The moment you take it out of that lockbox, we're going to treat it as though it's consumed. They're going to tax you on your consumption income, and that will encourage savings again, and that savings that is encouraged will increase the level of investment. Uh, So you can move in that particular direction. I think it's too difficult to try and go straight off to a consumption tax with none of these transitional stages. Uh, But if you take these transitional stages, they're very easy to implement in the Internal Revenue Code. And I think, in effect, given the ease of administration, the gains are likely to be fairly large. In the Biden administration, all of this is completely unthinkable because what they're trying to do is to find other ways to get taxed. So you mentioned earlier on uh, the stepped-up basis at death at this particular point in time is, in fact, untax-free which means that taxpayers have the following option. If their portfolio contains items that have gone down, uh, before death you sell them to get the loss. And if they've gone up, you don't sell them so as to get the gain tax-free. I don't like that kind of gamesmanship. My own view is I'm actually in favor of uh, taxing the gain at the time of death. I don't think you could carry it forward. It's just too complicated. But on condition that you abolish the estate tax. Um, And, you know, that has been done for most of the population uh, in the Trump years but not for everybody. But I regard the estate tax as a huge distortion in the way in which investments are made in the long and the short run, very much opposed to it as a kind of a specialized tax. And think, in effect, that if you had the stepped-up tax in 
on the income side, it would get rid of a lot of very dubious tax shelter deals, which I could describe to you, but which essentially allow people to take depreciation at very high rates, unrelated to the amount of equity that they invest, and then at the time of death to get that all forgiven uh, by the stepped-up basis. Those shenanigans have to be stopped. And if you know how to deal with partnership income and qualified non-recourse loans and so forth, you could get at these particular transactions. In fact, one of the very first articles I wrote over 50 years ago, uh, tried to explore some of the difficulties associated with what is known in tax parlance as the Crane Doctrine, allowing you to depreciate borrowed money on condition that you take back into income the borrowed money that you repay, even though you don't get to pocket the cash that you get back, but have to use it to pay the lender. That's a pretty technical kind of discussion, but it's exactly in these kinds of things which allow people like Warren Buffett to say, oh, I pay uh, tax at the same rate as my secretary. He doesn't mention that he gets millions upon millions of dollars of exempt income because he knows how to take advantage of these tax shelters. I've just given one. There are others that can easily be used that involve various kinds the swaps, foreign entities of one kind or another, that stuff should be closed down. But a general increase in tax rates as opposed to an attack on gimmicks is exactly the worst tax policy. Last question, Richard. Uh, We always knew we were going to have a big tax discussion before 2026 because that's when many of the TCGA uh, tax provisions expire. This feels a bit parallel to the Bush tax cuts before where, you know, both uh, both reforms cut taxes across the board. And then what happened with the Bush tax cuts was that low income and middle income tax uh, taxes were, were made, uh, the tax cuts were made permanent. And the tax rates for high income earners and for businesses, those went away and those went up. And it seems like that's what's going to happen again. So what's your advice to the very few politicians out there who are interested in economic growth and want to make lasting changes to the tax code? Well, I mean, I have long defended a flat tax on all sources of income because what it does is it reduces the possibility for rent-seeking, i.e. tax the other guy's income, or i.e. let me deduct phantom losses in one form or another. And if you do that, essentially what happens is that every poor person is hostage to every rich person and vice versa. You can't raise your taxes on your enemies unless you also raise the taxes on your friend. And so you want these people to really attack the whole system of progressivity, uh, put into place a kind of a flat tax, and to try to keep it there either by entrenched legislation or, in my view, by constitutional amendment if needed be. And then, in effect, what happens is you can't do the game playing. Uh, So what happens is if you want to raise revenues in order to meet a government expenditure parties, you have to do it pretty much on everybody. You can still have, and indeed will have, some degree of redistribution with this. And what will happen is you'll get rid of the real excesses. The other things you want to do is you want to have only a single tax instrument for these federal funds. Uh, You don't want to have various kinds of excises taxes, which are unrelated to benefits that are either given to a particular injury, it's a cost that they propose. You certainly don't want to have some kind of an estate tax, and you don't want to have special tax rates for special kinds of situations. You want to smooth and simplify the whole situation. Situation, and you should do that. But as you say, in a world where there are no constitutional protection, uh, the cynic will say, and probably correctly, 
First, what we do is we clear away the undergrowth, and then what we do is we sell our tax services to the highest bidder and reintroduce a new set of imperfections, which then, after the system becomes heavily encrusted, we simplify. That's what has happened, I think, after the 1986 tax reforms under the Reagan years, and it's likely to happen again. Taxation turns out to be a cyclical business. The problem that I see with the Biden administration is it understands nothing whatsoever about how this stuff ought to work about. And Trump, for all his personal peccadilloes seem to have a much firmer grasp and I think had a very strong Treasury Department, uh, which did well on the tax side. The difficulty with Trump was his populist instincts with respect to the expenditure side. And there's no real effective way you can do that so long as people can both raise taxes and can borrow capital. And so what you have to do is also think about the lending markets. I'll just say one sentence about it. Generally, it would be nice when you try to raise um, revenues by borrowing money that you secure it by the asset that you're going to create rather than by making it a general charge on government. It's not an absolute. It doesn't work in all cases, but it's a very good rule of thumb uh, to try to make sure that when governments buy particular things or build particular things, that they will generate the revenues needed to finance the particular debt. And that too is another device. Because remember, at the end of the day, taxation, inflation, and borrowing are all interlinked. And if you have to control one, you must be able to control the other two as well. You've been listening to the Libertarian Podcast with who else? Richard Epstein. Remember, you can read Richard's column, The Libertarian, on defining ideas at hoover.org. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in. For Richard Epstein, I'm Tom Church. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.